So we're looking at Genesis chapter 5 all the way through chapter 6, verse 8. And three things that I want to highlight here is we see uh, some really good news, some incredibly bad news, and then there is a glimmer of hope. I want to walk through those three things. Chapter 5, it starts off with another Toledot section. So we see this is the book of the generations of, in this case, Adam. So a Toledot. And this whole section, all the way through chapter 6, verse 8, is one section because uh, verse 9 of chapter 6 is another Toledot that starts there. So we're taking this whole piece as a, sec as a section. So here's first the good news. The good news is this. The good news is that the, the image of God gets passed down, not just Adam and Eve, but also to other people. Okay, he says, um, uh, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Okay, yep, got it. Male and female, he created them. Yep, we've heard that before. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The good news here is that the image of God is still a part of humankind. It wasn't just Adam and Eve, but it gets passed down from person to person to person. That's big. But here's the bad news. The common, what's the word that gets repeated over and over through this genealogy in chapter 5? It says, and he died. We've got person after person, and he died. Other genealogies, and there's a bunch of them in the Bible, they don't add that detail. I mean, why do we need to know that somebody died? We know that everybody died. But what he's doing here right at the beginning of Genesis is making clear that there's another part of Adam that gets passed on, and that is the consequence of his sin. The consequence of his sin is death. And that explains why I'm wearing a tie. I just came from a funeral service. A man who was in his early 90s um, from my old church, he had an incredible uh, life of uh, ministry and love for people. The guy was so passionate uh, for, in love with God, and that love with God flowed to other people. But this man died, just like all of us die. We all die, and it's kind of interesting to think about the way our culture thinks and deals with death. You know, in other parts of the world, you know, less developed parts of the world, death is a more common part of the culture. It's more around everybody. In our culture, we kind of keep death at an arm's length. You know, there's only a handful of people that actually deal or see the dead bodies. Um, we put our most vulnerable and close to death people in, in homes where they can be taken care of. And that's a good thing, but I think in some ways that culturally we, we kind of put our, at all those things at arm's length. And we, we just don't want to think about it. Everybody knows that they're going to die. But I think culturally we act like it's not going to, like, it's not real. We live our lives as if we're not going to die, um, even though it's inevitable and even though it's something that's common among all people. Every single person dies. Romans 5 uh, chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. He's talking about this time before, uh, right after Adam. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so one man's sin, Adam, 
brought death into the world. That one man's sin brought death into the world. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, he's saying, how do we know that all these people sinned? Because they died. That's the proof that they sinned. They died. Every single one of them died. And that is the horrible bad news. And that is the reality of our life. Guys, funerals can be, especially a funeral that I just went to, can be um, great at orienting, orienting our minds and our thoughts and, um, and our desires and our goals around bigger and more ultimate things rather than just the mundane and everyday. You know, the should I work a little harder, should I stay a little bit far longer at work, all those kinds of things, they don't matter as much when you think about later in life and the inevitability of death. But, guys, death is either something that's inevitable or it's something that we need to, and, and, and like, we'll just kind of ignore it, or it should be, but I think it should be something that we face in a very real and true way because it is going to happen, and it's, that's a big deal because the problem and the cause of it is our own sin, and that is the biggest challenge that every single human being faces. Now, things get actually even worse because in chapter 6, he talks about how evil mankind began to get. It says, When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they choose. So some big questions uh, are, that are coming, that are in this passage right here in the verses I'm about to read. One of them is, um, who are these sons of God? What's their identity? What does that mean exactly? As well as the daughters of man. What is he talking about? In my opinion, I think what he, these are just uh, euphemisms for saying, uh, referencing the sons of God, meaning the descendants of Seth, versus the daughters of man, meaning the descendants of Cain. Because at the end of chapter 4, we had a very short genealogy from Cain. And those two genealogies need to be compared against each other. And I'm going to get to more of that in a second. But I simply think that when he says sons of God, it's like these are the people that were descended from the, pro the line of promise. God's promised line. Um, they aren't necessarily attract, uh, uh, righteous because clearly they're sinning. Because look at what they say. He says, they saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. I think that's a callback. It's like a little hyperlink helping us to remember back to what happened with Eve in the garden and her temptation. Remember, it says that she saw that the forbidden fruit was good and, and, and good to eat. They are seeing women as objects for their own uh, pleasures. They're rejecting what God designed in marriage to just take what they want. It says any that they wanted. Guys, I think this is another part of the, the descent more and more away from what God designed and the goodness and the wonderful thing that God's designed within a, a husband and wife relationship into a, a male-dominated dominated lust, uh, eyesight, attract, just whatever I want, that's what I'm going to take. I don't care about the consequences or how it might hurt other people. In other words, this godly line, if you will, from Seth is now like, hey, we're going to just do whatever we want. <clears throat> it says, then the Lord my, said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. In other words, he is a sinner. 
his days shall be 120 years. And this is God limiting the ability of mankind to get more and more evil. Kind of like what he did in the garden. He said, because of their sin, we can't let them live forever. There needs to be a, a time limit on how long they live. Here he's limiting it even farther. And um, some people wonder, is that like limiting the age of people that they can get and there's some problems with that um or does it mean is it 120 years from this point to when the flood comes it's it's unknown but on the grand scheme of things it doesn't really change i think the meaning of it and then another big question is the nephilim who are these guys the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These, mean the Nephilim, were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So uh, who are the Nephilim? Well, first of all, we need to recognize and realize that Nephilim is a transliterization of the ancient Hebrew here. In other words, when translators came to that word, and, and remember that Ancient Hebrew is very different than modern Hebrew. It's a dead language. And so when, when translators are working on some of these things, um, it, there can be some difficulties where they're uncertain. And so when the very first time that they were translating here, they just said, well, we don't know what that is, so we're going to make up an English word, which is Nephilim. And we don't know what or who these are. They're, they're kind of mysterious. And one of the earliest theories... Um, but I don't agree with it. One of the earliest theories is that the Nephilim were some kind of like superhumans that came when demons mated with humans and the result was these Nephilim. And that assumes that sons of God, as it says in verse 2 and then also in the rest of verse 4, aren't people but are angels. And so, and I think, I don't, I don't think that's accurate for two reasons. Number one, God's punishment for the evil that came here isn't for those angels or those demons. His punishment is on humankind. Humankind bears the wrath because humankind is the one that's guilty. Um, if, if these are demons that are impregnating women, it's like, how is that their fault? Um, that's clearly the fault of the demons. So that's the reason I don't, one reason I don't think, and the second reason I don't think it's, it's um, angels or the result of angels mating with women is that Jesus later says when he talks about our, our, our eternal state and the future bodies that we're going to have, um, he says that we're going to be like angels and that we won't be given in marriage. So um, I, don't, I don't think that, so since there won't be marriage in the eternal state, um, I, it, because like, in other words, like angels, I don't think angels are capable of mating with with humans. So <clears throat> that's my personal opinion on it. And the other two theories is the Nephilim were just simply great men, because kind of like what he says, men of renown. Um, we had a lot of incredible leaders that we'll get into soon at this time. Um, we, uh, and then the other idea is uh, just like royalty, like, like people that were leaders. Um, and the theory, too, with the great men is that they could have been like some kind of giants, like just like Shaquille O'Neal, big guys, this whole group of people that were, were, were significant that way. And at the because um, the other use of Nephilim is when the spies enter into the promised land, they say that there are Nephilim in that promised land. We're not going to be able to defeat them because there's Nephilim there. Well, so. If Nephilim would have been wiped out of the flood, how are there also Nephilim later? So I personally think that it's, it's a uh, transliterated word where we're not sure exactly what it means. I don't think it's supernatural. I think it's something human 
completely human. Um, but but however you interpret it, the the big picture is the descent and evil of mankind. Because look what he says in verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Guys, just wrap your heads around this idea of unlimited evil. Um, like I said in the last video, it's like it's easy to take the side of the criminal, the one that has done the wrong, but we can't lose track of the victims of our sin and the victims of this kind of evil. Um, is it okay for God to sit idly by and let that happen? One of the big questions that we have uh, that we can re we wrestle with is why is a good God allow evil in the world? And it's an important question. Why would he allow these things to, to take place? Um, and there's a lot of particular answers on that, but I think one thing you can see from this passage, because it says the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. I think one thing you can say from this passage is God is just as upset about injustice as we are. He's, he's feeling it. Just because he's not acting at, at the time and place and the way that we would like to see him act. And, and, and guys, just pause for a second and just thank the Lord for the fact that he doesn't judge us the instant we sin. That he is patient, he is long-suffering, slow to anger. But we can see from this passage that he feels it. He feels like we feel uh, injustice. So that, to me, that's encouraging. And then here's the final just glimmer of hope. And I just want to highlight this. This dude, Lamech, go back to chapter 5. This is a big deal. Guy, person after person after person, died, 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 died. The seventh generation is this guy. I think I just said Lamech. is actually Enoch. Enoch, seventh generation uh, from Adam. Cain, there's a seventh generation who's Lamech. And Lamech, remember, is the guy that he was the first to take a second wife. He's the, he was bragging about the murders that he had, he had committed. You've got two sevens that are contrasting these two lines. And I think it's important because he's saying, this guy died, this guy died, this guy died, this guy died, person after person after person. And then verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name, whoop, wrong verse, back up. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Glimmer of hope. God told them that if you eat this fruit, you will die. And what God said is proving to be true. Remember Satan said, you will not die. Well, dead, 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 except for this guy Enoch. He doesn't die. And I think that's meant to be a little glimmer of hope that God can provide a way to avoid the consequence of our sin, which is death. He walked with God. And we know from Hebrews 11, it talks about Enoch, that, that God took him and Enoch did not experience death. And I think the reason that Enoch did wasn't because necessarily that he was this amazing super Christian or super follower of God. I think the reason he did is because he walked with God and God wanted to contrast Enoch's life with everyone else that died to make it crystal clear that if we walk with God, if we pursue him, it's possible 
to avoid the consequence, the ultimate consequence of death. And I want to also highlight what he says in verse 29, because the father of Noah, he says he called his name Noah, his son Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, meaning Noah, shall bring us relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands. I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, one of the things God did is he cursed the land so that when man worked, it had to be extremely hard, very hard to garden and to, to farm now to get that food. But the promise was that the, the woman would have an offspring that was going to crush the head of the serpent. And I, I find that, I think, convicting to me because, you know, when I experience difficulty in life, I think that one of the things that I desire more from God is that he fixes the challenges in my life more than he, that he fix the real challenge of my life. Guys, the ultimate problem of mankind is the great equalizer of death caused by our sin. So the ultimate solution that we need is that offspring who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Yet we don't want to give up what we're doing. We want God to allow us to continue to live the way we want to live, but then make our life easy. You know, maybe this will be the offspring that crushes the head of the serpent. No, no, this is the offspring that's going to make our life easier. That's the way that I'm seeing and reading that, that, that phrase there. Just to highlight that some walk with God and escape death. Others just want God to just serve them and do what they want. But guys, again, if death is, our great, is a great problem, then the solution to that should be what we pursue. And Jesus is that solution. Jesus is the one who walked with God perfectly. He was also taken up. But before that, he died on the cross for us. And it's such an amazing, amazing thing that I didn't walk with God, and he takes that onto himself. He'll pay the price. The consequence of sin is death. And Jesus says, I'll die for you, and I will give you my life so that you can be with me forever, so that when the Father looks on me, he sees Enoch. A person who is walking with God. So, good news is that we're made in God's image. Bad news, we are dying. We are dying. We are dying because of our sin. And the uh, glimmer of hope is that God provides a way. And we know ultimately through the New Testament revelation that that way, that promised offspring is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Okay, so guys, I want to encourage you to continue to listen to Jesus, do what he says, and remember that you are loved.